What's up, everybody? This is Jeffrey Lofton, otherwise known as Who Is That Again? And I want to welcome you to another episode of the Broke Millennial Podcast. Let's go. How y'all doing? Did y'all miss me? You ain't got to answer that. But really, how how have y'all been? It's been a minute. I've been sitting with this content for a few months now and really had to make a decision to get it out. But anyway, what's new with y'all? I had some life changes with a new job and school, among some other things. And that's all beautiful. And I've really been honing in on what's important and most essential to me and where I'm trying to go and the impact I'm trying to have. I've been doing a lot of inner work, you know. I'll tell you, I'll be honest, it hasn't been all good. I wanted to get this content out to you all sooner. Wanted to do better marketing. I wanted to find a real designer for my IG art. But hey, we here now. And that's all that counts. I'm still here, breathing and achieving. And if you listening to me, you breathing and achieving too. Now, I'm really, really excited about this conversation today. Uh, the interview today is with Dr. Ruben Fologi, and you don't want to miss one second of it. So I ain't going to delay no more. We're going to get right to it. What's up, everybody? This is Jeffrey Lofton, otherwise known as Who Is That Again? And I am so excited to have with me Dr. Ruben Fologi. And I'm going to let him introduce himself, and we're going to jump into this great conversation that I'm really excited to hear from him about. So go ahead, Dr. Ruben. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Um, Thank you, Jeffrey, for the warm welcome. My name is Dr. Ruben. I am a a licensed psychologist, educator, um, speaker, consultant. I tell people my favorite job is being a loving human being. Uh, I take that job very seriously. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think that's a good warm up for now. Uh, I Listen, I wish more, you know, we, we all wish uh, a lot more people would take uh, or take that job seriously. Right. Uh, we, we working on it. We working right. on it, right? Right. You can only focus well, on yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, um, you know, you kind of gave us a little bit of introduction there. So tell us how you kind of came to this point in your your career, your journey. Uh, How how do we come there? All right. Uh, Let's see if I can abbreviate it. So I was uh, born and raised uh, in to a Nigerian household. Uh, I say I cite that as being important because um, there were just things that were infused into my childhood, like um, respect mm-hmm. and, um, and hard work, you know, especially in education. Um, and so, you know, I didn't grow up playing sports really young, but in, um, in seventh grade, you know, I, I went out for sports because all my friends were starting to play sports and I never had played sports and I got cut from the basketball team. <laughs> <laughs> I was Been terrible man. though. It wasn't a fluke though. I was really terrible. Like I couldn't make the layup. I was I was not coordinated. Um, um, and that thing hurt me. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> it hurt me. All my friends were on the team and I wasn't. And so yeah. that was back in the day when um when when kids and the youth used to play outside and ride bikes. Mm-hmm. And so um when we would be playing outside, my friends were playing, but I, I tell them and we laugh about it today. I was training. Like I was training for for uh tryouts the next year. And so wow. um, you know. I would work and work. And then next, next year I played all the sports, football, basketball. Um, I think I was playing soccer then soccer. Mm. Eventually I did track. And so that's how athletics came into the picture. Oh, yeah. Fast forward. um, I ended up walking on at the university of Georgia as a prefer walk on we can get into that language you know okay. try it out but you know basically they said look you can come here but we're not going to pay pay uh, give you a scholarship and I was like damn yeah <laughs> uh, it would help if you gave me some money so I had a full ride I think at that time to Furman which was a smaller school mm-hmm. um but I, I you know I think when I was making that decision I said uh, I'm not going to ever see Furman on ESPN and I don't want to live with the what ifs, you know, what mm. if I could have did that? And so I went to the University of Georgia, um, which is how our paths crossed at some point. Yes. And, um, you know, I had a, a, a beautiful, challenging journey through athletics and I, you know, I wouldn't change it. Mm. Um, beautiful in the sense that I started to really figure out who I was, you know, Um, I think it's easy to identify as an athlete Mm. and that's it. And I started to recognize, hold on, I was more than an athlete before I became an athlete and I'm still more than an athlete. So like, what's going on with my identity? You know, Mm. who am I? What, who am I not? You know, Mm -hmm. what am I? What am I not? Mm -hmm. Um, So those were questions that I started asking away from home and the nest, which was really rich. And then I started to understand dysfunctional institutions were you know like um you know we were we were told things on recruiting when Mm -hmm. we got there it it just changed (laughs) (laughs) got got played yeah (laughs) Um, nah so yeah i started to understand that you know these institutions and systems that we're part of influence all of us you know like how can you know, Coach Rick be getting multi-million dollar um, sponsorships and contracts. And then, you know, my teammates are sending their Pell checks home because their family can't pay bills. It's like, what the hell, what's going on here? And this is, of course, um, you know, before the time where, you know, the athletes can get sponsored. But even then, yeah. I don't know if that's even a perfect system. Yeah. So we can get into that more. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so we're at athletics now. And so it got to the point where I'm like, this this feels too much like a plantation. I'm feeling exploited. Mm. You know, I'm at, I'm at the intersections of, you know, multi-billion dollar business scheme, you know, and I don't like the way it's making me feel like, you mm-hmm. know, it started to be like a cloud just glooming over, you know? Mm. And so I said, I'm taking my talents to um, graduate school. Okay. And that's what I did. I had an extra year of football to play and mm-hmm. I said, it's not worth it. And um, that's when I was. And at that point, were you still a preferred walk on? Ah, no, no. So after my first year, I actually earned a scholarship, which was a really big blessing. Um, Yeah. We had a we had a six and seven season, I think, my freshman year. And somebody had to be scapegoated. So they fired the whole defense. 
<laughs> you know, it, it, in the SEC, there's a low tolerance for losing. And so somebody yeah. had to take the blame. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happened, you know, that was a scary time because the coach who brought me in as a walk on, like he was the one gassing me up and telling me, like, look, you just hustle. You can play here. Yeah. Like, cool. Like you see it. But the other coaches really weren't like on that, too. Wow. And so um, he left and I was I was I was I was hurt mm-hmm. um, because this was like an important figure for me, like a coach figure for me. I was hurt and I was um, afraid. I was like, Ooh, like, you know, so, uh, most walk ons don't ever get seen or a scholarship right. or any playing time or even taken seriously. Yeah. Um. And so I just decided to stick with it. And we got a new defensive coach. Coach Ty Grantham. Uh, <laughs> Coach Ty Grantham. And so the beautiful thing is, you know, the blessing in that mm-hmm. is that he said everybody's starting on a blank slate. And that's all I needed. All mm-hmm. I needed was the opportunity. And so, you know, at that time, you know, I was starting to put on weight. I was starting to understand the game at mm-hmm. the collegiate level. And I was starting to ball. And so at the end of spring practice, they were doing all the awards and stuff. We were at this banquet mm-hmm. and um, they're going through like MVP and like best, you know, best everything for spring. And then one of the awards was like um, best defensive walk on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Coach Rick was like, best defensive walk on goes to Ruben Pelogi. And one mm-hmm. thing, he's not a walk on anymore. He's a scholarship athlete. And I was like, oh, the tears just was rolling up. Oh, man. That was a rich moment. Um, that hard work paid off. I was bust. I was busting it. You know? mm-hmm. I had the respect for my teammates. They didn't yeah. know. They didn't even know I was a walk on. Mm. Um, but it was just everything. I competed at everything. I was. I was practicing for practice. Mm-hmm. You know. I was working out for the workouts. Yes. Um. So yeah, hard work is a theme that pops up in this story over and over and over again. Yeah, man. Yeah. So. All right, so we have decided to take our talents to grad school. And so what was that process like? Grad school, it was another uh, beautiful mess. Okay. That's the that's another theme of my life. Beautiful messes. Um, beautiful in the mess. Six, what'd you say? I said beautiful mess. That's yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah, beautiful mess, beautiful mess. Um. Beautiful in the sense that I finally was able to just be a student. Like, I didn't realize how different the student experience is when you're a non-athlete. Yeah. And for better or worse, like, I think some people just think, you know, you're an athlete, you get all the privilege. And there's some, like, ugly things that come with being an athlete, too, that, you know, even just the stereotypes. It's like, oh, my God, finally, you know, the first thing people, you know, talk to me about isn't sports. Yeah. Typically. Um, and, you know, so that was some of the beautiful parts. I finally got to escape, you know, sports and just focus on being a, a, a academic or a scholar. And I realized that being a, a Black student in a predominantly white institution, that's a, 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 a challenging experience in and of itself. And I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was a year and a half into my PhD program. And I got professors still introducing me as, oh, yeah, this is Ruben, the football player from Georgia. Now, I don't think 
there's anything inherently wrong with that because yeah. I think it is cool to have athletes around. And when you start to understand the stereotypes about Black folks being only athletes and entertainers, it started stoking my insecurities about, do I even belong in this space? Mm. You know, and a lot of a lot of students deal with that. And it's because, you know, folks project these stereotypes on, on you know, different marginalized group. In this case, it was me being a Black male. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Given how intense football was, the the what we call microaggressions, they really weren't getting to me like that, but they uh-huh. do have a cumulative effect. Mm-hmm. So what happened, what, what really pushed everything over the edge was um, Michael Brown's death, August mm-hmm. 9, 2014, because mm-hmm. that was right up the road from Columbia, Missouri, right, um, which is where I was at school at the University of Mizzou. Mm-hmm. And so you got all this tension racial tension you literally got people from ferguson on campus um you got this tension and you could like cut it with the knife like nobody's Mm -hmm. talking about it administration's not talking about it the students you know faculty in the class it's happening but we're not really talking about it and so Mm -hmm. for me i'm getting annoyed it's like i'm around these people who say they care about me but they're not talking about the issues that affect my humanity Mm -hmm. and so you know I'm very careful about making assumptions and with the information and evidence that I had at the time, I assumed that they didn't care about my humanity. Oh, they didn't wow. say that. So right. I don't know that, if that was in their heart and because of the actions, the lack of the silence, mm-hmm. I perceive that as you don't care about my humanity. And so all I wanted to do is put myself around people who cared about the liberation of black people. Mm. And um, that's what I did. I went to my first, demonstration that December, December 2014. And, you know, I told you I played football. I played in in front of some of the largest audiences, um, largest stadiums, national TV, millions. And I've never been a part of something so powerful. Mm. You have these undergrad queer Black women speaking truth to power in a way that I've never seen. Mm. And feel the conviction in their words. Like, it was very powerful, um, and the way we, the way it was planned, it shut down the student center. The student center is predominantly white space. Imagine like Tate at UGA getting shut uh-huh. down. It's like, it's wild. It's wild. Yeah. So big. And this, that thing activated something in me where that next semester, I said, I want to be a part of this. I want to continue to learn about, you know, how institutions function and their dysfunction mm. and mm. how they create these unhealthy climates for, you know, Black folks and other marginalized groups. And that's what I did that next semester. Wow. Fast forward, um, things kept getting more and more tense on campus. Hmm. And I started to get more and more activated. Um, And it just became obvious that the people who were in power and in charge were not interested in addressing the issues at the pace that I would have liked. Got you. Now, maybe they were addressing them at some pace, but not the pace I would have liked. And a lot of the things that we were asking for, Black black activists in the 60s were asking for the same thing. So Mm. I I started to learn the game that they were playing to delay Mm. student student activism, you know, Mm -hmm. or to water it down. Yeah, yeah, wait you out. Because if you're a four-year student, you graduate, but I'm a grad student. I'm here for the long run. 
And that, but that's the that's the beauty of um yeah you know and I don't know how deep we'll go into this as activists but really being strategic about your activism so mm. instead of it just being the undergraduates or just being the grad we linked up together and we got the best of both worlds so it's like yeah this leader is graduating but I'm gonna be here and I know what you told them and I know what you did and what you didn't do wow some accountability here in a different way yeah and so this all culminated. In fall 2015, you know, there's some documentaries and stuff on it. I talk about this a lot when I do talks, mm-hmm. uh, but it just came to a head. You know, we got the student body president, black queer man, walking mm-hmm. on campus, getting called nigger by mm-hmm. white folks in a, in a truck driving by, you know, grad students lose their insurance, 13 hours notice. So you got pregnant women who don't know how they're going to fund their you know, mm. delivery of their baby, people who need medication can't get access to. So it's just a lot of institutional dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And um, we just kept protesting, protesting. And eventually we were like, we got to amplify this. And so homecoming is a big thing at Mizzou. They, they say that they had they had the first homecoming at all the universities ever mm. 150 years ago. And so it's cult like everybody comes back. And we mm. were like, OK, that's <laughs> going to get us the attention we need. Oh, Okay. So we interrupted that thing. And it wasn't just to interrupt it for the fun of it. Like I, I tell people, like, I did not want to be in front of the president's car, you know, talking to him about the history of black students at Mizzou. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have rather been in bed. Mm-hmm. And that's what the conditions pushed us to do. And so we did that. And the institution was so dysfunctional. Like, I think a healthy institution, they would have addressed that situation immediately and like really tried to figure out what the students were needing. But mm. we didn't get any of that for two weeks. Mm. Nothing. It was almost like that didn't happen. And it's like, what? Fast forward. I'm just hitting you with the highlights. Fast forward. This eventually um, triggered a hunger strike from mm. one of my um, one of my buddies. He was also a fellow graduate student, Jonathan Butler. Mm-hmm. He decided to go on a hunger strike, and he said he wasn't going to eat until the president of the university. Um, and the chancellor of our specific university resigned and it was surreal I mean I thought he was playing when he first told me because you know it was so tense in Missouri I had to get the hell out like I I gotta go to Georgia take a break (laughs) and on my way back he called me and I was like what's up you know we just cutting up and he was like I'm I'm not going to eat until tomorrow for signs and I I was like you know I like to keep it light I was like quit playing right and it got quiet and I was like oh snap he's serious mm. and so at that point it just clicked on for me like we got to get this dude out of office like there's no other option like my friend's not gonna die so we mm. gotta get him on like I didn't even think of another option wow and so it was like things started accelerating really fast on campus um yeah I'm trying to figure out how much context is important we we basically 11 of us, the 11 of us who did that demonstration, we we started calling ourselves and or being known as Concerned Student 1950. Mm-hmm. And um, what the women in the group did is they decided to set up kind of like a tent city. So every day that Jonathan Butler was uh, on hunger strike, there would mm-hmm. be this tent in the middle, tent city in the middle of campuses. So, so we had tents set up just camping out and they did mm-hmm. not like this for PR. But what was so beautiful that came out of it is that tent kind of became a hub for learning. Like people who didn't know why JV was on the hunger strike, they could come there and like learn, like almost like a class, like a living class. Mm -hmm. It was so beautiful to see 
the outpouring of support and community. You're like, you know, it was like white folks, like, look, I don't know what to do, but like, how can we help? Mm-hmm. You know, can we bring you meals? So we had, we even had a tent for just food. Mm-hmm. We were set. Like if folks wanted to eat, they can go get something out the tent. It was, it was so beautiful. Like wow. students asking how students are doing. It was, it was just connection and community on a campus that I'd never seen before. Mm-hmm. Fast forward, you know, we're getting into like four or five. JB is saying he had a conversation with the board of curators, which are, it's kind of like the board of regents for Georgia, mm-hmm. but it's yeah. the board of lawyers and such who hire and fire the president and are in, our, in charge of the university system. And basically these folks were like, look, if you die, it's your fault because we have no intent to remove the president and the chancellor from their position. And when he told us that, it was just very um, frustrating because, you know, and I haven't even got into how repetitive their inaction was, but this is just the MO. Like, it's like there's issues, they don't really address them. And they tell you, they do, they, they say things to pacify you. Right, right. Like, no, we're past that. Like, yep. we, we pay to come here just like every other student, and we need mm-hmm. to have an experience that makes sense for us to learn. And mm-hmm. The way racism was set up in Missouri historically mm. and at that time and even now, mm. it's very hard to be a black student. Very mm. difficult. It's very difficult. You know, when you're not talking about issues that matter to your community, mm. you know, people are, are saying hurtful, violent things to you. Mm. Um, so what happened was we started getting curious about what is going to make things shake. Mm. And I, I don't really get into what we were t- what we were thinking, or at least what I was thinking. But you know, we were thinking <laughs> all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily, we were able to connect with the athletes. Uh... So the Mizzou football players, I think they reached out. I mean, there were so many connections. You know, right. so, somehow we ended up in a meeting, and I ended up there too. And I'm so glad I did because I really wasn't supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to be at a banquet for something else, but I said okay. This is important. I know this. Right. Is and it was beautiful to be there because even black athletes and, and black students on campus, there, there's a disconnect sometimes. You don't understand it. Like y'all, there's a similar experience and it's that you're black and you're dealing with racism. And wow. so yep. I'm so glad I was there because we could have like this rich dialogue about some of uh, many of the misconceptions. It's like, Oh, y'all are athletes. Y'all got it easy. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, you you don't know what's like, you, you haven't heard their experience. No. What, can y'all talk about some of what it's like to be an athlete and be black and, you know, be isolated from people who look like you all the time or see, continue to see pictures of everybody else but people who look like you? Mm. They didn't know that. And I can't blame them because if you don't, if you're not in that environment, you don't see it. And same thing for regular, you know, athletes and regular students. It's like, you know, y'all got it made. Y'all are playing a sport. And it's like, you just don't even know what it's like to be in a classroom and people just see you as, an, as a nigger, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And so the beauty of that conversation is the athletes decided on their own that they wanted to leverage their power. And so whenever people are like athletes are ignorant, stupid, it's like, you just have no idea mm. like um and so you know we stepped out of the room to let them do their thing and by the time we walked back in they had committed to um 
boycotting football activities until the president resigned. And when I tell you, <laughs> how quick powerful. was that? <laughs> it was powerful because you know within hours this thing was on ESPN. I've never seen something spread that quick. Like you yeah. had, within, I remember that. Within a couple hours, everything was on ESPN. You you had all these national news media just converge on Columbia, and you know thank God that I had experience with the media from football because it was overwhelming like especially mm-hmm. for a lot of the folks who did it it was like I've never been in front of a camera this is about to go national there was that anxiety for me it was like look talking points you know like what yeah. do you want to say how can you say it because they're going to try to chop it up say what you need to say nothing you know little things like that right 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 fast forward because you know, I don't want to make this too long um Fast forward, things started happening fast when that football got involved. And, oh, yeah. Um, and so within 48 hours, both the president and the chancellor resigned. Wow. And um, it was a big aha moment for me because it was like, wow, these universities, institutions, when, when, when they stand to, to have their revenue impacted negatively or their public perception, yes. they start moving fast. But what it has to do with a student, one of their constituents' life, they're less concerned. Yeah. That was telling for me. Yeah. Um, and that's a lesson that I carry with me, you know. Um, when you start impacting the bottom line, that's when things change. The mm-hmm. bottom line being finances, the economics. Yeah, absolutely. When Man. you start catering to the morality gotta roll the dice on that one <laughs> it's, <laughs> sad. Sad. <laughs> it's sad but it is what it is yeah yeah that is i mean just uh I, an amazing story i'm excited for people to be able to hear and be able to put a you know a face because i kind of was i remember following it because uh-huh. that was kind of my senior year. Okay. And then I graduated and, and I started kind of seeing what was going on out there. And uh-huh. so, but just to put a face with with that yeah. movement, yeah. Um, I think is 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 enlightening and it's important for us. Yeah. Um, and so you know, with all of that kind of being said, you know. Talk to me about it. So all of that kind of went to this particular career path that you're on right now. Yeah. Um, and so what are a few, maybe, maybe two or three lessons that you, um, that you have learned and were they hard to learn? <laughs> Talk to me kind of about those. Oh man, there's so many. And I continue to relearn. It's like, um, like a level, like levels in a video game. Like once you beat a certain level, you go to the next level. And to, yeah. to me, I feel like the lessons kind of are similar, but I just yeah. get to the, another level in the um, the le- the lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the big ones is know thyself. Mm. Naeem Akbar, black psychologist, he defines consciousness as knowledge of the of the self, and. I've always, I told you I grew up in a household of Nigerian parents. And so I've always had this cultural fusion, which I think protected me in some ways where I think Mm -hmm. some black folks, they don't have that 
context and I feel like it's they don't have that protection you know because they mm. can't say like all right this is the tribe I'm from this is the country I'm from wow. um nope. and so I had that so I think dealing with racism coming up like I could kind of like brush it off a little bit mm-hmm. um and <clears throat> there was still it was still an intense experience navigating racism and I think if you don't have a foundation of knowing who you are and who you aren't then you can, it's very easy to start believing the messages that you're less than or that you're only an entertainer that you're only an athlete um, or that, you know, and it's not even just about race. It's even about men too. It's like, you know, that men have to act this way or a masculine man needs to look this way or talk this way. And Mm. the journey of knowing thyself, I started to investigate all of those messages, all of those. What was programmed into me and what is really mine? And what I learned was a lot of what I thought was mine was programmed. Um, and so I continue to still uh, deprogram and reprogram. So know thyself is one of those lessons. Man, I'm well, before we move to the second one, I need to let that marinate for me. <laughs> because like, yeah, I mean, what I and I know you said it goes beyond the context of race and racism, but even just thinking how you said understanding, you know, your family history and what tribe you come from and how having that knowledge for you allowed it to, yes, it was still hurtful when you had yes. those experiences, but you was able to kind of, yes. yes, because you were, you knew who you were. Grounded. <laughs> it's, it's grounded. Like I've, I've never only thought that my history began in American slavery. I've wow. never, that's never been the only thought. Mm. I've always I've always had this sense that we were greater people, you know, and, you know, we gave civilization to the world. And when you have that orientation, the lies that we're that we're fed in media and in the mainstream, it hits different. Like, yeah, man. I know it's I know it's BS. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you wow. think Bezos or Gates are rich, you mm-hmm. have no idea about African civilizations. And so. Wow. I mean, just think of, you know how dangerous Black folks will become if they taught that in school? You know what that would do to our confidence? Yeah, like, no, I don't know. <laughs> but imagine, imagine, yeah. like, I, I, you know, if, if, if I was a supremacist based on my race, yeah. I could understand why they don't teach it in school, because then you got to question everything about everything yeah. you know. Wow. Man, I but you know what? I, I, I'm sorry, Dr. Ruben. You know what? You just because for me, it's just freeing. It's freeing when you can think about that. Like, yes. I'm not defined by yes. what you throw at me. Like, <laughs> yes. and, and, and so while, while, yeah, I'm like, okay, and that will cause me to, I, but to affect change as effectively as you have affected change. Because now I'm not fighting violence, you know, <laughs> I'm not returning the, the vitriol and the violence. I'm like, okay, I'm confident who I am. I know you just say that because whatever is wrong with you, but we we can deal with this in a constructive way. You got, I, it. You got it. That's freeing. That's you freeing. I'm sorry. I, I like I said, I had I had to let that one marinate. No, I appreciate <laughs> it. And that's why I say I keep mulling on that because just when I think I know myself, I come up, I come up against the program where it's like, hold on, that's not you. Mm. You, know? Um, you know, like something that I'm dealing with is 
<clears throat> entrepreneurship versus being an employee. I keep getting messages that I'm not cut out to work in people's organizations. Like people, everybody says they want somebody passionate about diversity and social justice mm-hmm. until that person's working in that organization, questioning what's happening in the organization. And it's like, did you hire me to do this work? But now you don't like it. Yeah. What's going on here? And so know thyself like there's not, well, a couple things. There's no amount of money anybody else can pay me that is equal to my worth. There's mm. nothing. No money. There's no amount. So that's just one thing because I think people are like, oh, you're making six figures. And it's like, that's not enough money for what I add. That's not enough. That doesn't equate to my value. Mm. So that's one. And then two, Lauren Hill, there's a a verse on um, Nas's album. It's called mm-hmm. the song's called Nobody, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, she she comes into the verse, and one of the things she says uh, is, "Why would I join them if I know that I could beat them now?" Mm. And it's like there's like a I feel like there's this in, I'm I'm learning that there's this internalized inferiority that I have that makes me want to be an employee, a be a worker. And I'm questioning the hell out of that because being in school for so long, like it's all, they call it institution for a reason. It programmed me. And Mm. so I'm, now that I'm finally done with school, you know, they tell us, you know, get a professor job or, you know, work work as a psychologist in these very narrow ways. Mm. I'm questioning all of that. And I'm learning that that was just programming. Psychologists don't make money. That's programming. Why Mm. not? You know, or, or or you need to work for somebody for 20, 30 years. Says who? Mm. So mm. questioning all the messages. Man. Listen, y'all. Okay. And I, I'll say this and I say this to, to listeners, but what you're getting is free game. <laughs> this is free game. We put you on the free game. I don't know. I, he done messed me up over here. I'm trying to move on. I feel like what, like in church, you know, it's like, oh, I can't move on. <laughs> well, we're going to have to move on. Uh, but I, I, I'll tell you, I can stay right there. Uh, but, um, but yeah, so if you, if you care, um, well, yeah, I'm sure you got uh, more lessons, but Maybe what's another one or two that you that you got? Like I said, that one just messed me up. I didn't wrote wrote some notes down. <laughs> yeah, no, please do, man. Um, I was talking about this on Instagram the other day. Um, this is another lesson that keeps popping up for me, but and it's kind of related to the employee thing. Mm-hmm. No one truly ever understands you. Mm. Like, like no one can truly understand you. I think for you know, and I'll talk for me. For, for I find myself, and a lot of people, people please, but I find myself wanting to prove myself to people or wanting people to understand my heart and how big it is and how much I care for humans and how much I, I value compassion and love. And inevitably, I think many people see that. And inevitably, there's people who don't. And it hurts because it's like, but I've done all these things or don't you see how I treat you or don't you see my actions? And for whatever reason, they are not able to understand that or see that or perceive it in the way that I want them to. And so no one ever really understands you. So I think if we can let that soak in, we can stop 
weighing the opinions of others as heavily as we do. Mm. So that's the first part. The mm-hmm. second part is because people don't understand you, you have to teach people how to treat you. Mm. Because I think for so long, I've just assumed like, you need to treat me like a king. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if you've never been in the in, in the presence of black gold, you don't know how to treat me. Wow. And so it's like, wow, okay, I got to just break it down baby step. All right, first off, baseline respect, that's what I need first. Yeah. Like, like that's the first thing before we even go to any other next step. And so, you know, where I would get frustrated with coworkers or colleagues or clients, now it's just a matter of like, okay, like I understand you've had other relationships in your life and you've treated people that way, but um, these are my boundaries and this is what I need and or um, we uh, are going to create distance or in this relationship with my wow. needs. Wow. Mm. Just that simple. Person or employee, employer. Yeah. That's good. That's good. <laughs> That's good. It's tough. Yeah. These are my current, you know, 30, 30 lessons that, you know, I've been really working on. Wow. 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 You got any other? Got one more? I got one more. Okay. Um, <laughs> this other one is um, no one's coming to rescue you. Mm. No one's coming to rescue you. And that's for you as an individual, for the things that you want, the things you want to do, your dreams, your aspirations. Nobody's coming to nobody's coming to rescue you and take you towards that thing. Wow. And it come, it's a group thing, too. For Black folks, nobody's coming to rescue us. Biden, Kamala, they're not coming to rescue us. The mm. 2024 election, that nobody's coming to rescue us. Mm. So the, the, the nugget in this is if you want it, you get it. You mm. go get it. You go get it from the universe. You mm-hmm. take it. You want liberation and freedom? You go get it. And mm. that's what, I, I didn't know this at the time, but that's what was happening even in football. I mean, you know, like, it's like, damn, this is a plantation. I don't like this. Like, I'm going to start saying no to things I don't like. They don't like when you say no. No. <laughs> systems of oppression, these systems don't like when you say no, because that means you are going against the norm, which is usually mm. oppressive. Same thing in grad school. I don't like what's going on on campus. I don't like the way administration is treating us students as the as the paying constituents. Yeah. And so I wanted a better campus climate. I got it. And, and, and of course, that doesn't mean racism is gone or it's perfect because the place is far from perfect and it's not in the same place that it was when I was there. Mm. So nobody's coming to save you. That doesn't mean you have to do it on your own. That doesn't mean people won't be there to help you on the way. For me, what it means is we need to t- we, got, we we must take responsibility for the things we want. That's it. I was thinking ownership. You got to take ownership. Of. Yes. You got to take ownership of it. And, you know, that's really like the point of this podcast. Like, I wanted people to own their path. Like, you know, stop trying to follow everybody else's and then comparison, comparing yourself to everybody else. Because that's what I was doing, right? So I was like, okay, so if I'm doing this, obviously I'm not the only person that's falling into this trap and that cycle of depression and anxiety and all of that stuff because I'm not meeting these deadlines and I'm not meeting these timelines that people are saying, well, you got to do this by the time you're 25. You got to do this by the time you're 30. You know, so taking ownership of it, saying, like you said, if that's what you want. Can, can, Can I switch the roles and interview you real quick, ask you a question? Oh, yes, sir. Go ahead. I'm, I'm with it. Because 
Jeffrey, you're not you're not unlike other humans. Mm-hmm. Like we we are social beings, and there's a natural tendency built into us to compare, yeah. compare ourselves to others. So you're not you know that's something I had to to work my way out of, and you yeah. know. But what was the turning point for you where you were like, no more, I'm about to be fully me. Mm-hmm. Um. So in June of this year. Um, I had one of my worst depressive episodes. Mm. Um, like it was bad. Yeah. Uh, I, I, this was the first time I had ever had a depressive episode where I had like a physical, it was a physical manifestation. Like my head, I could not keep my head up. Like uh-huh. it was throbbing. And I was like, I knew this, what it was. I was like, this isn't anything else. This isn't allergies. This isn't, you know, like this is this is legit like depression. Like it was crippling. Um, I think I was dealing with that for the better part of three or four days. Um, and it just hit like, it just hit me. I was like, no, no. And I knew what the, what the, the point was, it was something a family member had said to me (laughs) and they thought it was a joke. And I just, completely crumbled like I mean and so but you know so that was the point and that was the point where I said all right Jeffrey well what are you what are you gonna do so this podcast was birthed out of that um just uh you know you know you hear that you you of course you know if we cross paths at two so you've heard the right division make it plain I've started really kind of like you said like we said taking ownership and saying all right this is this is me. <laughs> this is what Jeffrey do, wow. you know. And and um and I think and that's just been and also Ruben celebrating other people. Yes, yes. I think that's something I uh, that was a shift at yeah. that point because yeah. I remember that day. I I remember that was something I resolved was like you know what for where I want to be. Yeah, I'm gonna start celebrating and stop hating yeah. and and stop and stop you know, getting jealous because you don't know what it took other people to get to that point. (laughs) So I started celebrating people and messaging folks on Instagram and stuff like, man, I saw this picture. Congratulations. You know, praying for you and your family and stuff like that. Boy, you talk about liberation. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. So that was, that was the, that was the turning point. That was June, I can give you a date. It was June 2nd was that day. I picked my head up. I was like, uh-uh. <laughs> That's a powerful testimony, brother. I, I appreciate it. Um, and, you know, I got to do you like I do the other brothers in therapy. Like, that's powerful, man. Like, it's courageous to, to you know, all the messages that we get away from our humanity and our mental health. And so you just being able to name depression and talk about your, your journey. I, I really appreciate that. That's, that's truly a courageous act. So Thank you. please keep on going, man. Man, that's, and like I said, that's what this was birthed out of. And, and I, and I have not, that's one of the, that's like the first time I've, like you said, not been shy to share that because it's not, that's not weakness, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's one of those those uh, uh what's the word you use for one of those programs <laughs> sure. that's that says oh why are you sharing that yeah. you know what you crying you know quit all that crying you know yeah. no no but it, i mean i mean you know we might have to do a part two to this but like that trauma 
Mm-hmm. Like so many of us are walking around with unhealed trauma and we're just hurting ourselves and other people. And so when you finally can be able to, you know, address that and heal, then you start being a healer. And then mm-hmm. and it's cool to see, you know, now the extension of what you're doing is you, you channeling what you heal. Like you went mm-hmm. from depression to a podcast. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. So- it's a, I called it a creative outlet. I think that's what my teachers call it. I was yeah. in a class and it was like, this is my creative outlet. And, uh, but yeah, man, I, so that was my, that was my, uh, that point for me. And, uh, you know, and it's, it is good talking to people like you to help me that do help me and others to be able to identify like what, what exactly some of these things are. And, you know, that kind of leads me to a third question. If you're out, if you, okay, if I'm ready for you. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, we got time. I don't have anything immediately after this. Perfect. If we run over. Okay. So, what, what are some things that we tend to avoid, <laughs> but need to focus on in order to live optimally? Woo! <laughs> Loaded. All right. <laughs> I'm gonna just. I'm gonna start simple. Um, I think one is one is our health. Mm. physical and mental physical and mental physical and mental Mm. there's a reason that you know we're the most obese country in the world Mm. and that's not shaming like i hope i i I hope when people hear this this is not an effort to shame Mm -hmm. um you know people who have different body types and body styles this is not what that's about what this is about is healthy living and the messages that were pro- that are programmed into us are often rooted in capitalism and these businesses who just want you to buy their products. Mm. And oftentimes the products aren't even healthy for you. Mm. Like, you know, what's, what's beyond me is how we're in a pandemic and everybody's focused on health, but nobody's talking about nutrition or lifestyle. And I'm not saying nobody, but the right, mainstream, right, right. like, right. you know, if you're, if you're going to be mandated to, you know, get, uh, medicine why aren't you mandated to not go to mcdonald's mm. or why aren't you mandated to to go to your gym for a certain amount of, like this, i'm not saying i don't actually actually don't believe we should force anybody to do anything that right you know. and i think the discourse is like all right we want these quick fixes mm. instead of going through the process and thank 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 god i had athletics to show me you know how to work out and right. how to get comfortable in the gym everybody doesn't have that and it's okay. We all got to start somewhere. Right. We got to right. start somewhere. So physical health. And of course, we were, we've been talking about it, but mental health. Yes. So many people see mental health as this, as this second or third tier um, of importance, but it's, it's just as important, if not more important than your physical health. It's actually all related. You know, if yeah. you're having issues with your physical, you're probably having mental health issues too. And vice mm. versa. That's right. And so, you know, I love seeing, and this generation, things are changing. This generation yeah. is more conscious of mental health. Like, I don't think this podcast, I don't think we would be talking like this five, 10 years ago. Right. Just where the society is at and, yeah. you know, mental health. Um, even in my family, there are people in my family who are start, like some of the older folks in my family, they're finally starting to say, wow. okay, like, this is depression or this is trauma. And I'm like, wow, took you a while. Come on now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think one of the things that's overlooked is um, our physical and mental health. And, you know, the sooner we can start 
dealing with those things, um, I think the sooner we can start having way more fruitful lives um, for ourselves and the people around us. Because when when that mental or physical health is suffering, and you know, you're not typically those folks aren't pleasant to be around. Right. Right. Typically, you know, right. the negative self-talk, them projecting their stuff on you. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm 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 not here to shame meat eaters, but you know, like <laughs> we gonna I'm gonna keep my vegan spiel out of here. But, but <laughs> you know, for me, it's 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 bigger than just like I don't know that one's loaded. But let's just keep it here. The physical health is important. You know, what yeah. you put in your body, um, what you put in your 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 soul, your mind, your spirit, it all makes a difference. And so yeah. being mindful of what goes in is important. I appreciate we appreciate that, man. And I know I I said I had a bonus question, but I actually got I got a bonus bonus question. <laughs> because here's something that I think so we talk about mental health. Um, and I want to get your thoughts on the cost. Like, so some people who like avoid doing it because of the cost. Um, and I, I know for me, I had to just say, well, Jeffrey, you are alive <laughs> because you went to therapy. <laughs> Pay for that. Yeah. So, so I, I want to get your kind of your thoughts on. Thanks. Oh man, it's a really great question. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with the and in both response. Okay. So on one hand, therapy is inaccessible, especially for the people who need it most. Yeah. Being in it, being a psychologist in the mental health profession, it's 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 um I feel sad when I see how broken. The mental health care system is, I mean, healthcare in general, to yeah. be real, yeah. but especially the mental health care system. And it's no, it's no one thing and actually a combination of a lot of things. You know, some people are like, well, man, why the therapist charge so much? You know, given what it takes to train and, you know, get your education, I don't, you know, therapists should charge their experience and what they offer. And mental health care is to me is sacred and I think it should be compensated as such so I don't really get into people's fees I think a lot of therapists and psychologists fees are too low Mm. um but what happens is you got insurance who who they basically control the rate of therapy they're like we'll get you these clients um but you have to take their insurance and we're going to reimburse you at this rate and so if my rate is normally you know anywhere between 150 to 350 and this insurance company is saying they're going to give me a hundred bucks like that does not make me want to see clients with insurance and actually i wouldn't see clients with insurance because i think it perpetuates the abuse that insurance companies um just abuse by insurance companies you know for mental health for for mental health providers Mm -hmm. um and now they're coming out with these services like better help and such where they're more streamlined, but it's creating another mess. So on one hand, it's accessible for everyday folks. It's a little cheaper and Mm. they're paying therapists very badly. Mm. And so it's, it's, it's denigrating the quality of the work. It's like, you know, you wouldn't pay your, your doctor 20 bucks for their visit. No, Mm -hmm. you pay them like 300 and then, you know, Mm -hmm. you pay a copay of 40 bucks, but that's not how it looks. Wow. And, you know, 
it was something Pastor Bowles preached on this some years ago um, about the righteous mind. Um, or he did another one called mental, he just called it mental illness. And he actually spoke about it. He said, much like your heart, your lungs can get sick, your brain can get sick. And it, it, when you think of it, for me, when I think of it in those terms, it, I, I see the value. And I think as we go forward and messages kind of like that, even though, even in those simple terms where you're like, wow, this is an organ. It's like the most powerful organ in the, in, in the body. And, you know, if it's, if it's not functioning correctly, nothing functions correctly, you know? Um, and so I'm I, I kind of viewing it that way. I think, uh, I know it's helped me see the value in it. Um, and, you know, I, yeah, which is the end, which is the end. Like we invest in what we want. Yeah. And if people really looked at where their money was going, whether it's eating out, whether it's, you know, substances, alcohol, marijuana, whatever it is, like going on a date with mm-hmm. your significant other, like we, we be having money. So <laughs> it's a matter of like, where do we want this money to go? Do we want wow. it to service ourselves? Mm-hmm. Or to go to something else. And we're always making choices. So, you know, when people, and this goes to physical health too, when people are like, I can't eat healthy. You know, I can't see it there. I can't afford it. It's like, okay, well, what can you do? You know, mm-hmm. can, can you start saying no to some other things so you can start saying yes to this thing? Wow. You know, even yeah. if it's over time, you know, you might not be able to see a therapist every week, but maybe right. every two weeks or maybe every once a week is better than nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's it. I know I had, look, I had mine, you know, uh, you know, she wasn't even charging me that, but I think I had a discount because I was working with her, but she wasn't even charging me that much, but you know, you're tight. So, you know, I was like, I, I see you. I see you once a month (laughs) for a while. And what do you think? I'm so sorry. I I keep asking both questions, but what do you think about when we, Hmm. What do you think about like, so is it something that we should do like regularly or is it something that like, okay, when you feel all right, you can stop? Great question. I I don't think there's, I think it's either or and both. I think it depends on how you want to use therapy. Some folks, you know, they want to use it as a space where they can say things that they couldn't say otherwise, or they want to get feedback that they couldn't get otherwise. And you could do that for the rest of your life. Mm. Um, you know, and certain systems are conducive to that. So if I was in private practice right now, mm. um, I'll gladly take, you know, my, my full, full, um, full fee and service you, you know, mm. or whatever, a la carte, you know, so, so what do you need, you know? <laughs> What do you need? Like, if you need to just talk, so be it. So that's one way to use therapy. Another way is like, kind of like the medical doctor, you break a bone, mm-hmm. you go get treatment for that broken bone. You know, you're yeah. going through a depressive bout. You had a recent stressor, you know, there's intense grief in your life or you're, you're realizing that there's some unresolved trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go get that specific thing treated. And then once you're better, then you don't have to go back or you can go back less frequently. Man. All right. Yeah, that's that's helpful. I I mean, you know, it hopefully it's it's breaking down the barrier of well, how do I how mm. do I get into it? What's the time frame? Mm-hmm. You know, that's what that's what, you know, 
again, you know, we, we, I do this so that we can help people chart their paths to success. Mm-hmm. But I think that this is a space that, you know, people have questions. I have those questions. People have those questions. And this is another another element of kind of accessibility uh, sure. into this space, too. So I'm, I'm excited to be able to share that with more people. Um, so my last question for you. This is my actual bonus. <laughs> So those are bones, bones, bones. These are my actual bones. All right. What are some good resources and maybe some literature for the lay person <laughs> like me, like me to, to help us kind of, you know, like you said, learning these lessons, knowing ourselves and yeah. uh, uh, understanding, you know, that people ain't going to understand you and no one's coming to save you. Like yeah. what? How, where, what are some resources and things or uh, tools or literature that we can that we can push uh, to kind of help help folks um, come to terms with that? Uh, well, there's a few different ones. I'm, I'm trying to think. Yeah. yeah First yeah. and foremost, what, whatever I publish in the future, buy it. <laughs> that part. Oh, we got you. We got <laughs> whatever, you. Whatever I write in the future, buy it. You know, I don't have anything out just yet, but it's coming. Um, so outside of that, um, one book that has transformed my life is a book called Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg. The latest edition is the third edition. It's about 12, 11, 12 bucks on Amazon. This book has transformed me as a human, but then also as a psychologist. Um, because it centers compassion in the communication. It's mm. this idea that we're all just doing our best to get our needs met. And we've learned to do them in violent ways, shaming, blaming, guilting, judging, mm. um, you know, discriminating, just to get our needs met. Wow. And so instead of doing it in violent ways, um, we can do them in nonviolent ways, more compassionate ways, um, and really... Uh, add to life instead of you know harm or you know destroy life um so that's one the nonviolent communication and i i I read this after i got psychology training and it still Mm. boosted my communication skills so this is a powerful recommendation for everybody and anybody yes sir um i'm thinking of another one um i think I have, I have so many books, so I'm constantly always flipping through all of them. But one of the ones that stands out to me is uh, The Four Agreements. I think you know about it. Yes, sir. I know about The Four Agreements. I ain't read it, but I've heard about it, especially <laughs> in entrepreneurial circles. I think this is powerful in humans who want to be humans, better human circles. Um, mm. And it's so simple. I love simple things that have profound impact. But, you know, one of the things that's standing out to me is be impeccable with your word, you know, from that book. You know, it's like your word is, you know, we talk about words, your mind, but like, what mm-hmm. does it mean for the words to, that come out of your mouth to either, you know, build someone or to harm someone? And a lot of times we're not even thinking about it. It's just like autopilot. And so mm. that's just one of them. But I love that book. It's very simple and it gives some 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 very helpful frameworks that I think are just going to be helpful for anybody who wants to, to who's just growth oriented and wants to grow. Man, 
Dr. Rubin, I appreciate you and your time. Yes, it has been rich. It has been rich. So before I go, I love to put people on. Yes. So tell me, just go ahead and give me some things. How can folks connect with yes. you if people um, want to, if they need to talk with somebody, if you got some, what you got some services, some products, yes. tell me about it. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So I talk to people, I tell people I'm a loving human. And so um, things I talk about are all the things that separate us from being loving humans, like oppression, um, you know, conflict resolution, team building, identity development, um, you know, people like the fancy term, you know, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, all of that stuff is my in my wheelhouse. Um, and so if folks are wanting to contact me for services, they can go to my website, which is www.dr-rubin.com. It would have been just been Dr. Rubin, but somebody took that one. Ah. Somebody took it and I think they want a fat check for it and I'm not going to pay for it just yet. Yeah. Um, but so dr-rubin.com, that'll get you to my website. You'll be able to read up on me, what I've been doing. You'll be able to reach me there. Um, social media, uh, I'm on Instagram, bigrube95, B-I-G-R-E-U-B-9-5. And here I try to document some of my liberation journey. Um, mm. I'm having a mixed mixed emotions about social media after after getting banned off of YouTube and such, and seeing how they censor, you know, black creatives. And mm. um, we're gonna use it while we got it. We're gonna use it while we got it. And so that's another way folks can find me. And between those two places, you'll be able to find my LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, especially on my website. So, just <coughs> excuse me. Yeah, just start with Dr. Rube, dr-rubin.com and um, Instagram. And you'll be able to find me. I'm not hard to find. I'm in these streets. Oh, listen, and we appreciate it. We appreciate it. You helping somebody. You helping me. That, <laughs> you no, helping and I appreciate me. you. Like, I appreciate um, what this podcast, what where it came from. It came from your soul, man. And I appreciate what you're talking about. Um I used to get concerned about how many people are going to like see stuff, but what, what it always boils back down to me is if it even impacts one person, that's, yeah. that's enough. And so I hope you keep on going with this, man. I feel honored to be able to join. So thank you. <laughs> Appreciate you, Dr. Rubin. Free game, y'all. Listen, I hope you're taking notes. Um, I hope y'all connect with Dr. Rubin. And look, we're going to see y'all next time. y'all again how y'all doing you okay <laughs> because i was i'm still reeling from that conversation man but conversations on liberation man need more of those so i'm excited to be able to bring that content and hopefully inspire you to have these types of conversations remember we made this podcast because hey we might be broke now but we ain't trying to be broke forever we want to make sure that we expose you to these different paths so that you can chart your own. There is no cookie cutter. Okay. You can chart your own path. I want you to do that. All right. So y'all keep up the good work. 
understand. I see you. I appreciate you. You're doing well. You're right on time. Keep up the good work. <laughs>